Hallelujah. Do I hear a shout anywhere? Can I hear a shout for Jesus Christ? King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, that feels better right away. Oh, glory. There you go. The anointing's released. Oh, give me more, Lord. Come on, Charlie. Come on up and minister to us. Charlie's a Canadian revivalist. He brings God with him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Glory to God. You know, I, that's what I was going to do when I got up here. God said, have him shout. So praise God. Listen, the Bible talks about a shout. And it's a Hebrew word. I can't pronounce it. But when you shout this shout, it's the shout of the voice of triumph. When you shout this shout, it literally means ear ringing. And the only way that you can get that shout, you can shout loud, but if it's not ear ringing, it's not that shout. So I, do you have one more shout in you? Just one more time. And here's what we're going to do. Because when, I mean, even before I landed, we had the most amazing uh, flights down here. We almost crashed, literally. Uh, and I've never had that happen, but God had spoken to me. You see, when revival begins to come, and when the gate is about to be opened, and that's what's happening, there is a gate in the spirit that, is, that the church here is pushing open. And the enemy has arrayed his army. I could see it when I came in uh, to, to this area. He's arrayed his army against the purposes of God. But, you know, we, we may not see that, but what we often feel is lethargy. We feel, man, you know, I just don't feel like pushing in. But if at that time you would push in and you would release the shout of the Lord out of your lungs. See, the Bible says that when the armies uh, uh, of the enemy are aligned against him, it says he will slay them with the breath of his mouth. And the breath of his mouth is in you today because the kingdom of heaven's within you. The kingdom of God is within you. There was a young man last night. I saw God breathe into him and he felt the Holy Spirit breathing in him. But you have the breath of life and the, and the breath of God. And when you shout today, God is going to slay the wicked with the breath of his mouth that's in you. And that's why. But we need to have an ear ringing shout. Okay, one more. Let's stand up. Do you know why? I mean, I've, my voice for the last three or four months has been thrashed. Do you know why? Because I've been doing a lot of shouting and I've been doing a lot of roaring in the spirit. And uh, you know what? It opens the gates. But hallelujah. Do you know many? I mean, we got a lot of people here. We got a lot of breath of the Lord. Hallelujah in the place. Hallelujah. So we're going to one. I'm going to count to three. And I just want you just to let her rip and just give one big ear ringing shout to the Lord. Ready? One, two, three. Much better. Hallelujah. Wow. Good. You may be seated. I have a word for this church. And I was amazed because uh, Pastor Mike had talked to me. Mike had talked to me about doing something, uh, prophetic word. I didn't realize that you had told me before that it was the 21st anniversary, right? I've got a good word from heaven from heaven for this church. Listen, you're in the timing of God. Absolutely. 
and I have a testimony and then a word and then a prophetic word. And hopefully, yeah, we could be all done by 12. That'll be good. And if not, who cares? And um, you see in Canada, if you have a roast in the oven and the service goes on and the glory hits and, you know, your roast ends up instead of two hours is there for eight hours in Canada, you just go home, put it in the freezer and use it as a hockey puck the next day. So that'll work. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's ice hockey puck. Oh, God is good because there's a gate that God is opening and the enemy would like to bully us. He's not going to bully us in the name of Jesus. Because you're more than conquerors. Jesus has made you more than a conqueror today. God has given you authority today. And his breath in you is able to slay the wicked. We need to know how to shout. We need to know how to push in. We need to know how to press in when everything everything looks hopeless. The Bible says that Abraham, against hope, he still believed. Hallelujah. And listen, if you learn to do that at the point of your greatest misery, at the point where it just seems like, God, I thought you said, but I guess you didn't. Listen, at that point, you press in. Against hope, believe. Against hope, press in. Did you hear from God? You see, that's what the enemy said to, to, uh, to, to Jesus. If you're the son of God. You know, if you have any destiny at all, why don't you do this? No, we're not listening to that. We're going to press in and the King of glory is going to come in. Psalm 24. We sang again about the King of glory. Psalm 24 said, lift up your heads. O ye gates be lifted up. your ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Woo. And when he comes in, everything changes this. And you see these spiritual atmospheres changing and the enemy does not like it. Because he wants things the way it's always been. He just wants things just a little bit dull. He doesn't care if you have a sword as long as it's dull. But when you decide to sharpen that sword and say, God, I want everything. And you begin to shout to the Lord. Now, I'm going to warn you tonight in advance. So you be warned. We're going to talk about the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the roar of the Lord. And we're going to release and we're going to, we're going to speak to the gate. And so, you know, if you have a religious spirit, leave it at home. Amen. Better still leave it in the ditch because we just want to come together tonight to see God move in miracles, signs and wonders and to shout and to, and to release faith and to see the lightnings of God come. Because that's one thing where we go, uh, you know, it's, it's not something that I'd planned, but God gave me a promise that when revival would come in different parts of the earth, that I would be there. And that's one reason I think God not think. I know God's brought me here. He wants revival right here. You know, why, why should it happen somewhere else? Why not right here? Why not today? You see, that's always the purposes of God. And all he's looking for is a people to press in beyond what others have, have uh, pressed in. Where others have stopped, you press in. And so there's an opportunity in the spirit to see God move and to see people outside come running to the church. Isaiah 60 says that when the glory of the Lord comes upon you, it says that sons and daughters will come from afar. Woo! Hallelujah. So that's tonight. So uh, that's, a, that's good. So bring your friends, relatives, and your enemies. I mean, I don't care. Just as long as no religious spirits allowed. Amen. Not that you have any, but you, it's, it could be a little bit on the edge, and that's good. Well, I've got a tremendous testimony today. I shared a bit with the leadership, and I, I don't usually share that testimony because it happened several years, quite a number of years ago. But it's a tremendous testimony about the grace of God and how God can move through a berry picker. Now, do you guys have raspberries here? Did, uh, do, you ever, do you grow raspberries in this area? Well, Abbotsford is the city I come from. We are the raspberry capital of Canada. Hallelujah. That's our boast. It's a humble boast, but we got a lot of raspberries. And um, I mean, like probably tens of thousands of acres. And Shaba Rumba Rumba. And, you know, I'm from Quebec. Say Quebec. 
Does anybody know where Quebec is? Do you guys know where Quebec is, eastern Canada? I mean, it's a huge, big province, and most of the people speak French, and I speak English. Uh, well, some of the guys here don't think I speak English, but uh, this is English in, in Canada anyway. And we ask A and P. I've had Americans go, you Canadians are always saying A. Do you have an, another word you said? I, you say, I said, yeah, B. So... So I was a raspberry picker in Quebec when I was young, and I was a poor raspberry picker in that I, I would imagine I ate as much as I picked. If I picked one basket, I ate one basket. So I would pick a basket, eat a basket. Sometimes I would eat that basket, then I'd eat the basket that I picked. And at the end of the day, after like eight hours of picking raspberries all day, I might have a half a dozen baskets all day picking. Needless to say, after about a week, I got fired. I was only 12, but I got fired and lost my job, and it was horrendous, my first job loss. I needed counseling, but they didn't have any back in the 60s. So um, I was an unemployed 12-year-old berry picker. But you know what? It's amazing because Canada is such a big country. Um, I, that we're 3,000 miles away in Quebec from where I live now. Now I'm in British Columbia. And back in 1983, I moved from Quebec to British That's a long ways. And, uh, you know, they didn't know that it was a bad berry picker because I applied to be the boss at a big berry field and they made me the boss. Hallelujah. And so here I was, 1983. That's most before most of you were born over here anyway. And uh, they made me the boss too. Yeah, except for Ian. He's yeah, right. And uh, they made me the boss of this berry field. And I had 200 berry pickers at my beck and call. Hallelujah. And I was the boss. I had a lot of grace for berry pickers. And so I used to go down the rows and uh, check, the, check the rows. But I witnessed to everybody. Everybody. And the thing is, all these wonderful berry pickers were East Indian berry pickers. So some couldn't speak English. Some could. I didn't care. I talked to everybody about Jesus. I would check the rows and I'd go into the bushes and I'd go, you missed a few berries there. And do you know who Jesus is? You know? and, and so it was great. I had a captive audience. I could preach to everybody. I was the boss. Hallelujah. And so, uh, my, and my boss was a, was a Christian. And so the thing is, after 10 days of talking to people every day about Jesus, about sharing the love of God, sharing my testimony, uh, t- telling stories about God, after 10 days, nobody got saved. Now, that's not, when you go fishing, you, I'm going fishing tomorrow. If I don't catch a fish, it's not going to be a good day. Blame me in. Okay, I'll do that. I remember that. <laughs> So I'm, I'm counting on catching a fish. I don't care if I catch a minnow. Well, I'd like to catch a little bit. You have minnows here? A little fish. I want to catch something. And so after 10 days of witnessing, I didn't catch anything. And so I said, I remember I was having lunch in my Chevy Citation. And I was sitting there eating my sandwich. I said, God, who here will accept you? And God said, that guy right over there. And his name was Balwinder Bazzi. He was from Prince George, British Columbia. He was 16 years old. There was five guys sitting on the top of this tractor. God said, that guy right there. And you know what? You know what came to my mind instantly? Why didn't I pray that prayer 10 days earlier? (laughs) That's a good prayer to pray. I pray it all the time. Who's ready? What church is ready? What church is really looking for revival? What church is really hungry? Woo! And so God said, Balwinder Bassey. A couple of hours later, I'm checking his row. I'm 20 feet away from him. And he stands up. He says, tell me a story about God. I said, what? He said, tell me one of those stories about God. So I talked to him about God. I talked about how Jesus had changed my life. I said, would you like Jesus Christ in your life? And he goes, yeah, I would. So we prayed. We had one on the line and in the boat. Hallelujah. And so he was a Christian. 
Well, the next day, we started early. We started at 6 in the morning. The next day, this girl comes up to me, this teenager. She goes, what happened to my brother? I said, who's your brother? That guy. She points to Bowinder. She goes, look at his face. He's shining. And I said, what do you think that's all about? He goes, she goes, Jesus, something about Jesus. I said, yeah, would you like Jesus? She goes, yeah, we had two. Hallelujah. <laughs> two in the boat. It's a wonderful thing when people come to Christ. You know why? Because they literally their countenance changes. You know, they, they, it, it changed in my life. I was 18 years old. And when Jesus Christ came into my life, it was like somebody took a piano that I didn't even know I was carrying off my back. And he gave me joy, unspeakable. Hallelujah. That's what God can do. So if you're here today, maybe there's people here today. You know, you don't usually go to church. You don't know the Lord. I'm telling you, when Jesus comes into your life, you go from death to life. Darkness, light. It's just the way it is. And these people were shining because they came from, you know, they came from non-Christian backgrounds. Anyway, the next day, the third day, this other teenager comes up. He goes, what happened to my cousin? I said, who's your cousins? He goes, those two. And he points to them. He goes, look at their face. They're shining. I said, wow, do you like that? He goes, yeah, look at their face. He wanted some of the shining face. I said, okay, what do you think it's all about? He goes, Jesus. And so I told him about Jesus. I said, would you like to receive Jesus? He goes, yeah, we had three. Once you get three, you're in revival. And then we had four. And then we had five. And then we had six. And on the seventh, though the seventh was the most wonderful in my heart and mind. Because it was this little girl. She was seven years old. Her name was Sweetie. She looked like a little doll. A little Indian doll dressed in her sari, and she used to come and pick. She picked a whole lot better than I did when I was 12. But anyway, here she was. And I walked by, and I said, sweetie, you know Jesus loves you? And I kept walking. And she goes, I hear this little voice, who? I said, Jesus. You never heard of Jesus? She goes, no. And she's standing like this. And I said, she said, who is he? I said, he's God's son. She says, God has a son? I said, yeah. And I said, you know something else? He died for you. You got to watch out when you're ministering to people. You, you need to get some wisdom when, you have, when people have no reference of God or Jesus or the crucifixion. Because when I said he died for you, she started to cry. Why? Why did he die? So I'm like, God, help me. And so I told her how we'd all done something wrong. You know, we're born in sin. And that we can have Jesus in our heart. And I said, would you like the son of God, Jesus, in our heart? She goes, yeah. So she accepts Christ. She accepts Christ. But after that, God began to speak to this little seven-year-old. And she began to bring her friends. And I said, why are you bringing your friends? Because Jesus tells me to bring my friends to you so they can come to know him. So we went into a revival of sorts. It lasted 21 days. Now, on the 21st day, we'd had 20 people come to the Lord. But there was one guy that I did not like. He wasn't a Christian yet. You know what? You love everybody, but you don't always like everybody, right? I loved him, but I sure didn't like him. You know why? He was the boss of all these people. He used to drive them to the field and drive them back. They call him a contractor. The thing with these guys is they take about half their wages just driving them there and back. It wasn't good. And then he tried to rip us off. So I didn't really like the, the guy. And he was 21 years old, and he would come. And he would go, you know, I'm interested in this Christian stuff. I said, no, you're not. Come back when you're ready. <laughs> I did. And he go, you know, tell me a little bit more about God. I said, you don't want to know about God. You're a crook. <laughs> Come back when you're sorted out. Well, that's not good. And I had a bad attitude. But I didn't like what he was doing to the pickers because they were poor and he took half their money. But anyway, but on the 21st day, all of a sudden, here comes his truck. And I mean, he's moving quick and there's a big dust storm behind it. And he parks about 20 feet in front of me. 
And he jumps out and he runs to me and he grabs my shirt and my shoulder and he drags me to the truck and he slams me under the front of the truck and he goes, I want to be a Christian and I want to be a Christian now. I looked up, I said, you're ready. <laughs> you, can, you can accept Jesus. So he accepted Christ. We, now this is very important. It's very important for you this morning, this testimony, and I'll tell you why. 21 people came to the Lord. In 21 days, the oldest was 21. But you know, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I just knew that God was moving. But in the middle of that Barry revival, the most amazing thing happened to me. Now, I've had angelic visitations, you know, in the spirit. But I've only had one where an angel, I talk face to face with an angel like I'm looking at you. Only one time. And I can tell you one thing about that angel. He didn't ever have to shave because he had... I don't know, he had no pores in his skin. It's amazing when you see an angel. I mean, they look like people, but he wasn't. <laughs> and I didn't know it was an angel. That's the thing. And God had told me 10 days before, I'm gonna, he's going to send an angel. And, and I, I, for nine days every day, that's all I could think about. And my wife would go, Charlie, you're obsessed by this angel thing. I said, God told me I'm going to see a, an angel face to face. She goes, well, it's not going to happen today. And every day I'm like, I'd be driving on the street. I'm like, no, that's a woman. Can't be an angel. No, that guy's got a beard now. No facial growth. No, no, you know, no, too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny. I mean, you're like. But I learned something about the visitation of God. Pardon my voice. I, you know, I just shouted myself hoarse here. But I learned something about the visitation of God. Number one, it never comes the way you think. And that's what gets the church in trouble. We're looking for the move of God a certain way. But when it comes, many reject it because it's not the way they were looking for it. That's what happened when Jesus came. When Jesus came, the Pharisees didn't like the way he looked and rejected him before he even opened his mouth. How do I know that? The Bible says, God says, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And so, you know, I, I, uh, when this angel showed up, uh, I was actually in, in the line of a motor vehicle branch. That's where you get your license, and I had to renew my license. I had just come from Sherbrooke, Quebec, three months before, in 1983, with my wife Shirley. Samuel wasn't born until three, three years after. And so I'm in the line, and the lady goes, you guys from, from uh, Quebec are all here at the same time. And I was like, somebody else is here? And this guy's standing in the line. He's just sort of smiling at me. He's about 5'11". And he, he steps out of the line, and I thought, man, my heart starts going, bubble, 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 bubble. You know when you have a prophecy or something, and you know you've got to give, and I'm going, man, am I ever getting the witness that this guy knows God? And so I walked over, and I started talking to him, and he was just a pleasant fellow, and he's talking to me, and he's got this twinkle in his eye, and he's looking at me, and everything I did, he did. He came from Sherbrooke. That's where I came from. There's not too many English people in Sherbrooke, and I'm going, who's this guy? I know he's a Christian because I'm getting the witness. <laughs> or at least I knew he knew God. <laughs> He came from Sherbrooke. He came the same date I came out. He's been here three months. I'm going, what's with this guy? And he asked me, uh, he asked me, he says, what do you do? I says, I work, uh, you know, I work on a berry farm. And I said, what do you do? He says, right now I'm involved in farm labor relations. <laughs> oh, farm labor relations. What's your name? I forget his first name. His last name was Goodfellow. See, I should have figured these things out, but God just out of my mind. And I thought, I need to invite this guy for lunch. And I said, he's going to think I'm not so... I'll just say goodbye. And I said, all the best to you. I walked up the stairs and I went, no way, I'm going to invite him back. I walked back down. He was gone. Disappeared off the face of the earth. And I'm going, no, wait a minute. Something's wrong with this picture. You know, you know when th these things happen, you just get the numbskull from God. God gives you the numbskull. You ever had the numbskull anointing? 
You just can't figure it out because it is. And I'm going, like, where did the guy go? And there's no washrooms. There's no place to hide. There's the counter. I'm standing there for about 20 minutes. I hop in my car. God reminds me of what he told me. I'm t- I said, God, you tricked me. I ran down. I was looking for this guy all over the place. I said, why did you do that? He said, you're in the middle of revival. And I have a revival angel that walks with you everywhere you go. See, angels are involved in the harvest. The Bible tells us that. Angels should not be something strange in our life because they're here anyway. How many of you would agree they're in the room? Yeah. And here's an amazing thing, especially, you know, a lot of people that, that minister and they minister to people. I mean, it's okay to see a person. Oh, I see that evil spirit. But when you say, oh, I saw an angel, they go, oh, you saw, come on, you saw an angel. How come it's okay to see evil spirits in people? How come it's okay to discern evil spirits, but you can't discern an angel? See, we're whacked out, some of us. We, we just we don't understand the reality of what, uh, of what the spiritual world is and how God wants to bring it down. Because Jesus' prayer was this, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> so anyway, 21, 21, 21. Did you get that? Now, and the angel from Sherbrooke. Don't forget the angel from Sherbrooke. Because it has to do with you guys today. Isn't that good? Because next week, it's anniversary number 21. Oh, but there's more to this. Because it's not just an anniversary, you guys. This is not just 21 anniversary. This is a gate that's about to be open. And this is about the enemy, not just an enemy in your town. I'm telling you, the, 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 the principalities over this nation are not too happy about what God wants to do here. He wants to open up the gate. It's a governmental gate that is going to affect the whole nation. It is right here. It's over your church. It's in the spirit. It's a governmental gate. And they don't want it open. Because it'll, it'll mean they'll, have to, they'll lose their power. And they'll have to go somewhere else. <laughs> Good. Anyway. <laughs> Just don't come to Canada. But anyway. God is good. So 21, 21, 21. Now, that was 1983. Fast forward 21 years. We're going to skip 21 years. We're going to go to 2004. June 2004 is when it all, it started 21 years to that month. Patricia King, who I think you're going to have in your church in a, in a few months, um, a good friend of ours, her and Ron, she came to, you know who Patricia is? Good. She's awesome, eh? So um, uh, Patricia came to our church June 2004. She comes in, she's crying. She goes, Charlie, that means something, that means something, that means something. I said, what? She said, 21 years ago. Whatever happened 21 years ago with those 21 people in 21 days, the oldest 21, it means something right now, like right now. She goes, what's happening? Where are you going? I said, well, tomorrow I'm going back to Quebec. She says, that means something. And so I'm like, okay. And she says, you need to pray because it's very important. So uh, I drive back to, uh, we fly to Quebec. And we're supposed to be going to Lennoxville. And as we're driving to Lennoxville, Quebec, the pastor goes, by the way, you're staying in Sherbrooke. And I said, Sherbrooke, that's where that angel was from. He goes, oh, you mean the Sherbrooke angel? I says, you know one too? <laughs> the Sherbrooke angel. We turn the corner. Do you know what the symbol for Sherbrooke, Quebec is? It's a great big white angel. Downtown, in the middle of town, they have a big statue of an angel, a nice looking angel. And I'm going, God, what is going on? <laughs> 21 years later to the week. That 21 people came to the Lord in 21 days. The oldest was 21. God, what's with the 21? But all of a sudden, I begin to pray. And God said, there's a gate over this area that you're in right now. I want you to pray that the gate will open. 
So I begin to pray, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and, I'm praying, and I feel the glory of God. I feel the angels that are there present to pour out glory. And I'm praying, and all of a sudden, all I could think of was 21, 21, 21, and why am I here, God? 21 years later, after 21 people came to the Lord, the oldest is 21, in, in 21 days, like, God, what does it all mean? And in the middle of praying, God goes, focus on the gate. So I'm focused on the gate. There's going to be a gate's going to open. And 21, 21, 21, and I'm like, God, help me. In the middle of that, I have a vision. And it sort of reminded me what the Clayton showed me today. It was a shell. It was a, you know what a clam shell is? You got clams here, right? But it was about this big. And it had a great big pearl about this big. A great big pearl. And it's sitting there. And I see men of God over the years go to pick this pearl up. And as they do, I see fire come out of nowhere. I can't even see where it's coming from. And it hits these men of God and they fall. It hits this other guy. He falls. It hits this other guy. He falls. They're all piled up outside of this great big pearl. And I'm going, I ain't going near there. All the men that tried to get that pearl got wiped out. Every one of them. Because this fire came out of like nowhere. It was like a slit. And it would just come out. It was like hidden. I said, God, I'm not going there. He said, why not? I said, they're dying. (laughs) He said, if you see it, you can have it. He says, I'm showing you that thing, and I'm showing you where the fire's from. He says, rebuke the devil. And I rebuked that thing, and it just disappeared. He said, take the pearl. And all those men disappeared. So I walked up, and I took... Now, this is going to seem strange to some of you, but just hang on. What's in your belly? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. Out of your belly flow rivers. So there's things in your belly, or your... I don't know if you say belly here in in New Zealand. Oh, you do say belly. Good. Some people say, out of your heart. That's okay. Belly. If you got a good one, flaunt it. Hallelujah. But anyway, out of your belly. So God says, put it in your belly. And, and I, spiritual things, God has put many spiritual. He's put jewels in there and all sorts of things. Why? So that I can give them away. It's out of your belly. See, you have gifts from God, not for you. They don't make you spiritual. Are you kidding me? Gifts are dangerous if you try to keep them for yourself and make yourself spiritual with a gift. It'll destroy you because gifts are made to give away. That's why it's better to give than to receive. <laughs> So I took the pearl, put it in my belly. <laughs> That's why I look like this. But anyway, so I kept praying. And I'm praying about, God, you want to open a gate? You want to open a gate? And then I kept thinking, 21, 21, you want to open a gate? And I'm like, God, what's going on? And you know what he said to me? I said, why did you show me that pearl in the middle of all this stuff? And the 21 people got saved 21 days. And he said this, Revelation 21, 21. Let's go there. Revelation 21, 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Do you know what you have over this church? You don't know what you have. Otherwise, you would have been shouting a long time ago, but you don't know. There's a gate over this church. God wants it open. What does it look like? A pearl. Gates in the spirit. I've seen them. We've seen them in Africa. They look more like an opal, but they're sort of like that. And when they open, that's where the good stuff happens. God is in the gates, whether you believe it or not. You know, Jesus said, I am the door. Do you know what door means? You look it up. Portal. That's what it means. (laughs) And that's Strong's. Portal. Jesus is the door, the portal. He's the way, the truth, the life. God, there's spiritual dimension that we do not understand that God wants to open. 
You know, we get all excited and you watch those, some of those shows, science fiction shows. Wow, that's great. No, no, you got it better. You got it better than any science fiction show because there's a gate right here. But the enemy's going to try to press it closed. And what does he use? Religion. A religious spirit. Jezebel. He'll use whatever he can. He doesn't care how much damage. He wants to do damage. But it's not personal sin and it's not personal problems and depression that's not his bottom line he uses it's not his bottom line his bottom line is to keep that gate closed so that the glory of god cannot come you know i know people that go around you know they're digging the wells of revival well you know what if you're going to do that you better know how to plug up the wells of the enemy (laughs) it doesn't you, you see for every gate there is the enemy's got his gate and he'll try to use that to move into the church and to just dry out the church. He's not going to dry out every church, but he'll do it as much as he can. Why is he doing it? So that the gate won't open up. Because he's afraid of the glory of God. Because once the glory of God comes, he's got to move back. He, there is no defense for the glory of God. When it comes, he's got to move back. So he's out. You know what the, you know what the nations did? If you study Israel, if you study the nations of the Middle East, when a nation came and overtook another nation, do you know what the very first thing they did? They would fill up the wells of their enemies, even though they were perfectly good wells, they'd fill them up right to the top. And right beside it, they'd dig their own well. You see, and that's a spiritual concept that we don't really know about. And many Christians who get saved don't know how to fill up that well. That's why we need deliverance ministries. Because they come and they go, yeah, give me God, but they got these wells they need to get cleaned out. (laughs) You can't have two rivers flowing. It doesn't work. You see, at the same way, God wants to shut something down and open something up. Oh, man. See, I know it's in the spirit. This is what I do, and I'm not an expert. Because really, I'm all, I have a very fine line of what I do. Personal prophecy, praise God. When, it, when God moved, that's great. And I know a lot of people come to meetings for personal prophecy. But don't, let, don't be disappointed if you don't get one. Because I'm not here for really personal prophecy. My prophetic gifting is to see gates. And speak to the gates and prophesy gates and, and see what's going on. And I don't like what's going on in the spirit world because it bugs me. <laughs> Not you, that stuff. <laughs> but so what? Most of the time when it bugs people, they back off because it's pressure. It's opposition. <laughs> so what? There's millions of souls at, at stake today here. Yeah. There's, there's international ministries at stake here. How do I know that? By the grace of God, it's what I do. Have you guys ever heard of Toronto Airport, Shubabumba Fellowship Church? I mean, I, the, the number of people that God has sent me to with this similar word, and sometimes personal, because God wants to raise up ministries. Patricia King, who you may not know her, but she travels all over the world. I co-host a television program with her. In 1983 and 1984, she used to come to our meetings. She was a youth pastor. She'd come and stand in the meetings. And she used to listen to us preach on the glory of God because I just can't stop. It's not that I don't want to. I can't. <laughs> and she would sit down and say, tell me more about the glory. Tell me more about what it's going to look like. What is gonna... And we would just sit there for hours and hours and hours. And her and Ron and me and Shirley talk about the glory and what it would look like. And all of a sudden, bam, God shot her out of a cannon. Why? Because she took it and said, I don't care what's, what's out there, what's going to try to stop me. I'm going for it. And the moment you make the decision... God begins to make room for you. And so, you know, God sent me to this guy. He was a Mennonite. You guys have Mennonites here? No Mennonites in New Zealand. Oh, you're missing out. Anyway, you know what a Mennonite? Hivite, Jebusite, Mennonite. (laughs) No, 
They're like Baptists, except, you know, they don't go to war. But anyway, they're like that. They're like peace. Not like flaky peace. They just, they, they have this thing. They don't go to war. Anyway, so um, God sent me to a Mennonite, a good Mennonite. And they have beards. Many of them have beards. And this guy had a beard. I mean, they don't have beards to start here. They have beards to start up like by their, their eye. They have like a beards and two eyes. And that's it. I mean, he's got a big bushy beard. So did my friend that led me to the Lord. He's like this big beard with a couple of eyes. And every now and then you saw his mouth speak if he got really excited. But Mennonites don't get too excited. So basically a beard went like this when he talked. <laughs> So God sends me. I hope this tape doesn't get out to Brian. But anyway, God sends me to talk to this man. And it's cold in Canada. It can get cold. We get nice weather, by the way. We live in the Fraser Valley. Uh, in the winter, it just rains. It doesn't snow. But it was cold. When I say cold, it was probably about minus 30 Celsius. So that's pretty cold. But it gets colder. Now it gets minus you know, like 45 there. So I went to talk to this guy. God said, I heard his name. God says, go and tell that guy that he is going to witness with his own eyes revival come to Canada. He's going to be there when the gate opens and the glory comes. He told me to tell him that. And so I walk in and here's the guy. And he'd already been prepped that this wild, this wild guy's coming and is going to talk to him. So he's sitting like this in his chair. And he stayed that way for an hour. I talked to him. I tried everything I could. I mean, I'm Shabbat in, in the back of him. I want this guy to receive the word because I know it's from God. And I said, sir, you're going to see the glory of God come to Canada with your eyes. And I said, you know, when it comes, it's going to come strange. It's not going to come the way you think. Because revival never comes the way you think. But if you'll embrace it, it'll be better than what you thought it would be. And so I told him, when God begins to move and you're going to see it, you're going to want to run away. You're going to want to run. But I said, don't run. Give God 10 minutes. And I talked to him for an hour. And I basically, he said that over and over. And he sat there and I could, I could feel it. You know, you're absolutely insane, man. Like, like, that's what he's thinking. So I left and I told the guy I was with. That guy got nothing, man. He didn't even say goodbye. He didn't even get out of his chair. He just was glad to get rid of me. So this was in December 2003, uh, 1993. I didn't know this, but he'd applied to a nice, quiet vineyard church in Toronto. Toronto Airport Vineyard. And he was the new youth pastor. A good Mennonite. They don't shake. They don't bake. They don't get very excited whatsoever. And so he's sitting there, Randy Clark's ministering, and bam, revival hits. People start falling out of their chairs. The glory of God hits, and he's there when it happens. And this is what happened. This is my testimony from the other end. Because two years later, I didn't know who this guy was. I didn't know he went to Toronto. Two years later, somebody says, Charlie, remember that guy you prophesied over that he'd be there in the revival? And I said, yeah. Oh, yeah. He goes, well, he's the youth pastor of Toronto. I said, no, I don't know the youth pastor of Toronto. He goes, yeah, yeah, you know Brian. I go, no, no, I don't know no Brian. He goes, yeah, the guy you prophesied. I said, I don't know. Who is this guy? So he introduces me. Oh, I didn't recognize him because he had no beard. The only thing that looked familiar was his eyes. So I'm going, oh. <laughs> he goes, you remember me? I said, no. He said, remember the guy that you came over and prophesied to in 93? I said, that's you. He goes, yep. He says, you didn't know. And I didn't know. The next month I went to Toronto. And he said, I was sitting there. And he said, the power of God came in. You see, suddenly, he whom you seek will come to his temple. Oh, I live for the suddenlies of God. I do. It will cost you your dignity. It will. If you're not willing to give up your dignity, 
New Zealand, then you'll have to settle for second best. Because when the river flows, it could make you strange. It doesn't necessarily make you strange, but it could. It probably will. So get ready. What will it make you strange too? Not heaven, because you'd be surprised what heaven looks like. Religious people will think you're strange. Because they like nice straight pews and everything's quiet and don't get too loud. But this guy was sitting there. In January 1994, God began to move. People began to fall out of the pews. The glory of God started to move. People began to shriek, scream, deliver. Who knows? Everything was going on. He grabbed his wife's hand. He said, I'm getting out of here. I'm moving back to British Columbia. These guys are crazy. And when he said that, he said, Charlie, I didn't remember anything you said. I thought you were crazy. But I remembered one thing. Suddenly in my ears, I heard you saying, when it happens, it's going to be wild. You're going to want to run away, but give God 10 minutes. He said, I turned to my wife and he said, wait a minute. Let's wait 10 minutes. She goes, why? These people are crazy. He said, give God, let's give God 10 minutes. He said, I waited 10 minutes. Then I waited another 10 minutes. Then I fell in the river. <laughs> God just threw him in the river. Just because you see revival, just because you see the fire of God, just because you've experienced the glory in this church, does not mean you're a candidate for revival. You're a candidate revival for revival if you're truly hungry and thirsty and you're willing to press into what God is doing and press through the enemy's ranks. Remember, Moses saw the burning bush. He took note of it. He was walking and he saw it. But until he turned aside to see this sight, God didn't speak to him. But when the Lord saw that he turned aside... And he began to embrace it and walk toward it, even though it was strange, even though he'd never seen a burning bush, even though he said, I'm going to turn aside and see this thing, why the bush burns, but it's not consumed. When God saw that he turned aside and he, and he came toward that fire, even though he'd never seen it, even though he'd never experienced it, even though it was strange, he was willing to walk toward it. And then God spoke from the midst of the burning bush. Seeing, sitting and watching God move does not make you a candidate for revival. It doesn't even make you a candidate for heaven. We need to make some decisions that we're going to move toward the fire. And that if we have to shout, scream, do cartwheels down the aisle, anything to support the pastor, anything to support the leadership. I've been in the same church 21 years. I support 100% my pastor. I lay my life down for my pastor, my leaders. I've been an elder for years. I love my pastor. I do not get my strength of who I am and my ministry from, I, I work with Todd Bentley or Patricia or any of those people. I get the strength of ministry because I'm under submission. And I mean that in the right way, not in the fake way. And I, I have people that I love and they love me. They can speak into my life. I can speak to him. We walk side by side. They push for me. I push for them. We've all been through the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I'm telling you, when the bad and the ugly go this way and then the good comes, it's worth it. It's worth all, you, all the times you've died. It's worth all the times you felt like giving up, but you didn't. It's worth all the times you got close to discouragement, but you wouldn't let yourself be discouraged. You don't have to let yourself be discouraged. There's people in here, your families aren't doing very good. And you're teetering on the edge of, God, I need help. Listen, today is your day. It's all up to you. Are you going to take a stand? And you know what I tell a lot of intercessors? Because we work with so many intercessors all over the world. I tell them this many times. The first thing I tell them, stop praying. Oh, man, they freak. They freak. 
women who pray every day, many hours for years. But you know, I tell them to, God told me to tell them to stop praying. Now you never cease intercession in your communion with God. You pray without ceasing here, but I mean, stop praying this way with your mouth and asking. And, and I'll tell you why you need to stop. There's a time to pray. Then there's a time to receive. I've heard lots of books on how to pray. Very few that make any sense on how to receive what you're praying for. Because here's how you receive. You don't receive by talking. You don't receive by jumping up and down. That's not the time you receive. The time you receive is when you stop and you stand. And having done all, stand. And if you as a Christian will do that and you learn how to stand, I don't care if the wind comes, if the, if the breath of the enemy is on your face, if there's a billion demons lined up against you, if you choose to stand, he can't do anything about it. Nothing. I'm not mad at you. It's just the way my voice sounds here. <laughs> Listen, he can't. Because after having done all, we need to learn to stand and do what? Receive. Stand and receive what God has. What do you think God has for you? you? God has revival for you guys. I can't say that about every church. I go into churches. I told them I'm not preaching on the glory of God. And the reason I can't is because they hate each other. In the church, God tells me, this one hates that one, that one hates this one, this one. And I go, oh, God. There's some of that here. And you know how you hate people? When you talk about them negatively. And you use your mouth to kill people and destroy people. Especially when they're wrong and you're right. God could care less about you being right. Did you know that? God could care. It's the last thing in his mind about you being right. But that's how we witness to unsaved people. We're right and they're wrong. Jesus never walked like that. If he walked like that, when he said, you know, he is without sin, cast the first stone, he would have picked the stone up and whacked the lady in the head with it. But he didn't. Because he's not interested in being right. Now, there is right and wrong. Of course there is. But he's not interested in you being right. Do you see what I mean? Because the moment you pick up a stone, God's looking at you. What about you? You know, you may be writing some issues, but I guarantee there's stuff in your life that God would like to have a chat with you. But he wants to do it personally with you. He doesn't want to expose it. If we would learn how to judge ourselves, we would not be judged with the world. But do you know what keeps us from judging ourselves? We continually judge others with this word. There are people in here you need to repent. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to me, but I'm not pointing a finger. Well, I guess I am. But, and I'll tell you why. For your own good. For your own word. For your own good. Because here's this. God told me some secrets. I didn't want to hear them because he told all this to me, you guys. He told it to me. If you can control your speech, you're a perfect man. Able to bridle the whole body. And the problem in the church, where the, why the church isn't in alignment many times, the, the body isn't bridled because the tongue is out of control. And people look at other people and they speak evil. The Bible's, we're going to look at that right now. We've got time. Because we're, we want to contend for a gate. But the gate ain't going to open up if we haven't learned how to control this. Because God is unable to bridle the body. If this isn't under control, neither can you. Let's go over to James. You know... God, I cannot stop preaching this message. I really don't like preaching it, but I will preach it. You know why I have to preach it? Here's what God told me. Revival's not going to come until this is dealt with. And we start loving one another. Do you know what God told me one day several years ago in a meeting? He said, Charlie, you have to esteem every single person in this room better than you. And I went, how do you do that? I realized how much I love me. The Bible says with lowliness of mind, esteeming others better than you. He said, when you come to a meeting, it's not about you. It's about the people you're ministering to. You've got to put your faith out that they'll all have a greater ministry than you. Everyone, least to greatest. 
That's what God told me. I have to believe that you're going to have a bigger and a greater ministry than me. I don't have a big ministry. Who cares? But I have to believe for you. Why? Because Jesus did. He said, greater things will you do. You do. You do. Greater things will you do because I go to the Father. But one of the single... Now, you know what? I was going to say, I don't know if that's true in New Zealand, but I know it is. One of the greatest single things that keeps us from the blessings of God is our tongue. We need to learn how to bless. We talk about witches and, oh, they're cursed. You know, witches cursing. Do you know how much power you have in your mouth? Do you know how much power you have to destroy the enemy through blessing? You don't have to curse nothing. You bless. Bless those that use you. Bless those that speak evil against you. Woo! Blessed are you when people use you and say all kinds of bad things against you. Why? Great is your reward in heaven. I've learned the power of blessing. You know what? When you start blessing, the devils leave town. If one whole church could get this and every person would begin to bless their brothers in their church and outside in their leadership and they stop the little nattering that goes on at home and with the friends and, oh yeah, I know this thing. And especially the faults because we all have faults. But you can't talk about them. And you go, well, wait a minute, brother, we need to judge. The only thing you're allowed to judge is spiritual things. Yeah, this is a spiritual man judges all things. You see, this is good. Charlie, you're preaching real good. I know it. Hallelujah. I'm going to keep preaching. Okay, James 3. <laughs> Look, verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest fire, a, a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It doesn't say anything. There's no other part of your body that can defile the whole body except for your tongue. And it says, and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. And I'm talking to everybody, me too. If we'll make it, really, if we'll make a decision today, you can't control your tongue, but there's one thing you can guard is your heart. You see, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you guard your heart, because out of it come the issues of life, this will change. And if this changes, the blessing of the Lord will come upon your family, will come upon your friends, will come upon your enemies. Uh, let's look over here. Let's have another dose of medicine from Jesus today. You see, revival is not going to come. You know, it only comes to two people. Remember? Oh, I didn't preach this. I don't think. Psalm, uh, pardon me, Isaiah 57. It says that God is coming to revive two kinds of people. The contrite and the humble. That's it. And it says here in James chapter 4. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, verse 7, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Now look at this, number 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And this is what's happened in the church. You see, what we've become is the judges. You can't be a judge. You're not called to be a judge. You know, because if you judge, what happens to you? 
you'll be judged. Why am I saying? That's a pretty heavy-duty message for Sunday morning. It's a good message. You know why? God wants to sort this out and sort this out so that he can bring revival. Because I'll tell you something about the glory of God. It has two sides. One side, brightness, light, glory, wine, revelation, the good stuff. The other side, darkness and a mist. (laughs) Don't get on the wrong side of the glory of God. The Bible says, behold, the goodness and the severity of God. And I'm sort of a joy kind of a guy, to be honest with you. And I don't even like preaching this message, but I have to because God told me two months ago, this is what is keeping the Western church from the glory. We're blaming everybody else, but it's me. It's my fault. Not, not your fault. Me. My tongue. And if I would learn the power of blessing, the power of blessing that you have to bless is more powerful by far than any curse, any witch can curse. I mean, you have blessing. You have the life of God. You have the breath of God in you. When you speak forth, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And that's why when we say, be healed, not a whole lot happens. Why? A lot of people are praying for healing, but you can't do both. You can't curse people. And I'm not talking about, do you get where I'm coming from? First of all, I'm talking about faults in people that are real faults. I don't like the way that, don't say it. If you can't do anything about it, don't say it. Pray for the person. That's it. Uh, so father today i want to thank you lord no man can control the tongue but we can guard our hearts because out of it come the issues of life and i pray for these young people right over here god that your power would come upon them and father the way that they will keep themselves is by guarding their hearts because out of it with all diligence the bible says do you know what how you guard your how, uh, how you guard your heart by watching what comes out of it now it's also watching what comes in but really, if you look at that scripture, it's about what comes out. You see, what goes in, yes, that defiles man. But as you speak, words bless because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Okay, well, that's that. Good. Did you get that? I bet you were real happy to receive that word. I am. I, I want, you know, God speaks to me every day about that. Because I, I have one message. It's the glory of God. It lasts for my message. Well, now it's probably closer to 60 hours. I have like 60 hours of teaching on the glory. So if we're here for a week and I get pretty long winded because I have so much to say and I have to compact it and and I just ramble anyway sometimes, but Holy Ghost rambling. But at the same time, I contend for revival. I want to see revival. And most of the time before revival comes, there's a breaking in the spirit and the breaking in the spirit. The breaking in the spirit. We were in, hey, listen, we were in Indonesia on December the 4th, 2004. You know what God told me? He was going to take a dragon in Indonesia, in Jakarta. He was going to take a dragon over Southeast Asia, throw it down. It was going to hit the water off the coast of Indonesia, cause a big wave. People would get killed and hurt. Sammy was there. He was in the van. God told me there was going to be a great big earthquake. He said the whole atmosphere for Indonesia, Southeast Asia would be changed. But he said people would die first. People would get hurt first. And it would land right. He showed me exactly where it would land off the coast of Indonesia. I told Jedediah Tam. He put it in an email. (laughs) On the 20th of December, we were leaving. I told Sammy right after we leave, there's going to be a terrible earthquake. We left on the 20th. On the 26th, well, you know, there was a terrible earthquake. God had already prepared me the day I got there and and told me what would happen. And I said, God, I don't like those words. I get them all the time. But I'm still your man. I don't have to like them. You know, if you want to tell somebody, he's going to tell somebody. He says that God never does anything unless he first tells his servants, the prophets. So he's going to tell somebody, might as well be you. But sometimes you don't want my ministry. 
I see the glory of God in revival. I also see the other side. I've seen people drop dead in the glory. Dead. So this is very real to me. Well, not tonight. Today, none of that's going to happen. So praise God. Relax. And I don't go around prophesying that. I'm not a kind of a judgment guy. But I'm a glory guy. But I found out the glory of God when it comes. Oh, man, you guys, you're sitting right under a gate that's about to be open. Here's the three things that God's going to give you. If you have a pen, you might want to run, write this down. There's three dimensions and three things that God is going to release. And it's his heart and it's his desire to release over this church. Number one, and, and especially number one, is his glory. But particularly, the government. There's a governmental thing here. And I know Ian's talked to me a bit about that. But there's a government thing in the spirit that I saw when we came here. And it's over your church and I didn't understand it. Because I thought it was over your church for the region. Usually, when there's a gate like that, it's just for the city. I believe there's something over here, over your church for the whole nation. There's something over here that God wants to do that's going to affect your nation. And the reason that there's been sort of, you know, ebbs and flows and ebbs of attacks and then, you know, you know, flows and different things is because the enemy, there's a lot at stake in this church for the nation, for revival, because you've embraced what God wants to do in your nation. You want to go for it. You want to see the glory. So you know what? Here comes the glory. I mean, here it comes. It's not without a fight, though. If you think, you know, we have a lot of soakers in Canada. God bless the soakers. But some of those soakers, they're like lambs all the time. They learn to, need to learn to get up and be a lion every once in a while. You can't just sit and soak your life away. And I'm, you know, I like to soak. But when I pray, I walk. So I'm a soaker, too. But there's a time to be a lion. There's a time to be a lamb. You can't be a, a lamb to the devil. There's a time to be quiet. And there's a time to shout yourself hoarse. I figure there's times where if your hands aren't red from clapping and your voice isn't hurting, you haven't done the job. <laughs> anyway, this is good today. You know why we're going somewhere? Because I can see what God's bringing down. I can see the gate. But it's not up to me. It's up to you. I'm just coming here to just share something. But number one is the glory of God. And it's also the majesty of God. There's something about the majesty that you have on your church. There's a majesty. There's an excellent spirit. There's something about the majesty and the glory of God that is over this church. There's a bigness that God has for this place. There's a largeness. It's like, I mean, we could say extend the tent pegs, except I think you'd have to extend them over the whole nation. So, you know, but the glory of God. Number two is the power of God. Now you say, well, doesn't that always come through? No, only if you contend for it. You need to contend, and that's what you're contending for. And the, by the power of God, I mean miracles, signs, and wonders. The power of God. And the power of God in being a witness. That when you speak, your words don't drop to the ground. That when you speak, people are interested in God. That when you speak, they go, say that again. I mean, you can do something for 10 years. And then one day, you can begin to speak, and there's power in your words. And you say the same thing to the same person, they become a Christian in one minute. Yeah. And sometimes you pray and pray and pray. You see, that's the difference between revival and just life, Christian life as we see it. We're supposed to be filled with power. So the power of God is coming through that gate for signs, wonders, miracles, and souls. That's what's coming through the gate. That's when the king of glory comes, that's what he brings. Can I tell you something else about Jesus? You may know this. You may not. Whenever he comes to a meeting, he never, ever, ever comes without leaving you a gift. He's the perfect guest. 
Don't wait for prayer up here. He's brought something for you today to give you. And he came to the meeting because he wanted to, not because he has to. Do you know that Jesus came today not because he had to? Because he wants to. He wants to. He's intensely in love with you. And that's number three. Number three is his presence. There's three things. The glory, the power of God, the glory of God, the power of God, and the presence of God. And there's going to be a new level of intimacy. And it's going to touch your worship. I felt last night that there's a calling on this church to write songs. And not just songs. It's like songs, drama, the arts. That's going to affect your whole nation and even beyond. There's an anointing in this church. There's even a hunger. I can hear the prayers of people that have prayed for that. And there's some of you sitting here. Some of these young people. And the thoughts come to your mind. You know, I think God wants me to write some songs. You're going to be singing all over the place. But you've shoved it down because you go, who am I? But you see, that's the enemy. God goes, here's what God does. Whenever you say, well, who am I? There's people here, right here, that you know God has called you to greatness, but you go, who am I? Do you know that's what the first thing Moses said when God called him? But he asked the wrong question. He said, who am I? What he should have asked God is, who are you? Because after he said that, who am I, Lord? Then the Lord told him who he was. He said, I am. Moses said, who should I say? In other words, who are you? You see, whenever the devil comes, he's going to say, who are you? You know, if, if you're, you know, if you're a son or daughter of God, really, you see what you say is God, who are you? As soon as you look to God and you begin to look at him, you begin to find out who you are. I had a friend, his name is Ralph Nault. We're almost done here. I had a friend, his name is Ralph Nault, a wonderful brother who was my mentor back in the seventies and eighties. He'd been in the ministry for many years. And all of a sudden one day he just sort of lost his identity and it can happen in ministry. You just do meeting after meeting, and it's, got, it's good and it's glorious. But you've got family. You've got things to do. And one day he said, God, who am I in all of this? Who am I? And God said this, Ralph, you're asking the wrong question. This is especially for you guys today, for all of us, but especially for these guys. This will help you. Because I know when I was a teenager, I would look in the mirror. I wasn't a Christian. I would go, who am I? Really, I would. I'd go, who am I? I don't know who I am. Until I met Jesus. Because he showed me who he was and it didn't matter anymore. But if you've grown up in the church, sometimes you're going to ask yourself, who am I? But the question to ask is, God, who are you? Because God said this, Ralph, you're asking the wrong question. You should be saying, who am I? And then he went, who am I, Ralph? That's what God said to Ralph. So he went away and he prayed. It took him two weeks. He prayed. And he came back and he says, God, I know who you are. God says, who am I, Ralph? He says, you are who you are. You know, that's God's name. I am who I am. But then God dropped this on him. But why? Now, listen, we always stop one question short. And that's why, by the grace of God, I get a lot of stuff that other people don't. Do you know why? I ask one more question than most people do. I do. And, I, and you know what? I didn't even put it in there. God put it in there because I, I couldn't even think of asking the question, but I do. And when I ask that extra question, it opens up the doors to the miraculous, to the glory. And God said, okay, Ralph, I am who I am, but why? And Ralph said this, God, that's why I prayed for two weeks. Because I knew you would ask me that. And he said, I know why you are who you are. And he said, Ralph, why? He said, because you don't need to be anybody else. And God said, that's why. Now, listen, God is who he is. Do you know what? I've heard people say God has to be. Forget it. God is who he is because he wants to be. And he doesn't have to be anybody else. And then he says, Ralph, who are you? Ralph said, I am who I am. 
He said, why? Because I don't have to be anybody else. I want to tell you something. If you will get a revelation, especially you got, get a revelation of who God is. It, it won't matter who you are. You'll get just, you'll get just swallowed up in who God is. People won't be able to tell them, you apart. <laughs> you see, it's who God is. And when you find out who he is and you begin to look at him, you don't care. Paul said this, I am what I am by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Let's close our eyes today. Father, I thank you that you are the great God. Your word says in Psalm 2 that the enemy just seeks to destroy the plans of God, the people of God. But it says you laugh from heaven. The God in heaven laughs. And Father, I thank you that you're laughing right now over the victory. And God, that we have the victory in the face of everything. Who cares? Because with one breath, you slay the wicked. And so, Father, we thank you today for this body. And God, I just release, Lord, the glory of God, the power of God, and the presence of God. The presence of God, you guys, is a new place of intimacy where you guys are going to. There's a new place of intimacy. I mean, real deep intimacy that's coming upon this church. There's a place of intimacy and visitation and habitation in this house that is coming. It's on the house right now. I can feel the hunger to go deeper than you've ever gone before. That anointing is coming. It's seeping through the gate. It's giving you a hunger and a desire to go beyond where you are and where you've ever gone before into God. It's not going into a strange place. It's going deeper into God. It's an intimacy. It's a call to really know the God that I say that I know. It's a call to really walk with the God that I say that I walk with. God wants to show himself and reveal himself to you in beautiful intimacy. His glory, his power, and his intimacy. It's what's waiting in the gate. And so, Father, we thank you. God, that the King of glory is coming in. The King of glory is coming in. We thank you that the gate is opening. Father, we thank you that the King of glory, Lord, you said you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Build your church here. And I thank you that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against what God is doing. Father, I thank you for rolling away the stone. There's a rejection over your nation, you guys. There's a rejection, and I don't know why it's there. It's a feeling of separation and loneliness, and I don't know what it is, but maybe it's because you live way out here, but you got nothing. You don't need to feel like that. This is a wonderful country, man. I'm so blessed by being here. You guys got it all. Really, you do. You got it all. You have wonderful people. You have great pastors and leaders. You have a great nation, a great, not just a good, a great nation. You're admired all over the world, but you don't know it. You need to know what God thinks of you. You need to know what God thinks of your nation. God wants to pick you up as a nation and just rock you, just hold you. He wants to pick up the nation of Zealand and just love on you and just tell you how much he loves this nation that he's carried you through many things and kept you from many things and kept you from many conflicts and protected you. He's not allowed you 
to be susceptible to things that other nations are experiencing. There's a reason for that. It's because He loves you. And He's carrying you. He's watching over you. He's jealous for you. He loves New Zealand. He loves who you are. You don't have to be anybody else. You don't have to be anybody else. Just be you in God. Because that's how God is. He is who He is because He doesn't need to be anybody else. And He won't be. He's just going to be who He is. That's individuality. That's what God has poured into your life. So Father, we just release Your glory, Your anointing, Your power, and Your presence. Let it rest upon us. Father, I thank You that You're opening the gate today. Hallelujah. Today, Father. Father, bring these people back prepared tonight. We pray, God, that your glory would come. We also thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Thank him today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You love our nation. Thank you, Lord. You love us. Thank you, Lord. You have called us. Lord, we just honor you today. Why don't we just stand and give Jesus a great clap? Come on, let's give him a great clap. Let's appreciate him. King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, we honor you today. Celebrate you today. We thank you today for who you are, who you've called us to be in you. Almighty God, majestic King, Lord, we honor you today. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We don't forget to come back tonight. We're going to have a great meeting. Before we do, just going to take an offering and bless and sow into this ministry. And uh, what we're doing is sowing not just into Charlie, we're sowing into the prophetic ministry. I believe this year we need to hear from God afresh for our church, for our individual lives. So let's just offer an offering and sow today. And take us a moment, just prepare. If you haven't come prepared to give, write an IOU, put your name on it. We'll uh, sort that out. If uh, you've got a checkbook, write the checks out to Bay City Outreach Center. All that comes in, we sow into Charlie and his ministry around the world in different places. Let's believe for a great offering. Father, we thank you for your word to us, a word from heaven. Thank you, Lord. Let it rest in our heart. Let it grow, find roots. Lord, today we give. And we sow, Lord, an offering today out of a grateful and a glad heart. Everyone said amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We'll have another offering tonight. So if you didn't come this morning, come tonight. Come on, let's just finish with a joyful sound. Oh, if you're a visitor, come on up and have a cup of coffee with us afterwards. I trust you with all I can.